0: Uh, okay. This is going to be an amazing episode. I know that for sure. I had some, uh, nerves going into it, which always tells me something big is about to happen. So that's fun. Um, I think your body of work Really is different and unique, and I actually don't remember when I reached out to you specifically, but I knew that a podcast conversation had to happen. So today's guest is Dr. Nathan Riley, um, known as the Holistic OBGYN. <laughs> um I would like you to introduce yourself because that's kind of how I feel like my show runs natural. Part of the natural flow of my show is that whatever introduction comes to you today is how we're supposed to start the show. Um, That's So good. tell me. <laughs>
1: I'm a different man every morning, it seems. Uh, well, you know, I noticed that when I was binging your podcast, when you reached out, I was like, wow, this is really special. These conversations, the, the art of storytelling is something that I think the, the ritual of storytelling, the ceremony of storytelling has been lost. And that actually is a big part of our healing as a community knowing one another's stories and practicing the language or lack thereof that is required to to hold people while they go through the the realities of being human. Yeah. Um and what I noticed in the intros when you have when you ask a lot of people to introduce themselves they yeah. they like to uh, sort of diminish what they've been through in life and they you know, I'm just mm-hmm. a regular person and that's also true. Like you yeah. Amanda, I like we are all just regular people trying to figure this out and yeah. I just happen to also be a board certified physician who is very, very, very thoughtful about how we might improve maternity care in the United States. And a part yeah. of that, of course, is that 10 to 15% of pregnancies that end in miscarriage, um, not to mention the many, many other pregnancies where a, a woman or in, and w- probably in conjunction with her partner often, um, not always, uh, makes a very, very hard determination that perhaps this is not what we need right now. This is not what I was, um, I'm prepared for, you know, whatever language a person wants to put forth. And so we have a lack of language, we have a lack of really understanding what's what's asked of us as the doctors, the Mr. and Mrs. Fixits of the world, who have good intentions, but, but oftentimes in trying to uh, um, put a script to it or to protocolize this process, we we end up, I think, oftentimes doing more harm than we than we can even really understand. So, um, so I'm very happy to be here. I am a regular person. I have two little girls. Mm-hmm. The second was born at home, 50 feet from here. I love to tell that story because as an OBGYN, seeing home births can really, really rock your role your world for lack of better term it can really help you appreciate perhaps the more sacred nature of of what it is to be a dad and to be a mom and to welcome a little baby into the earth school so so i'm not your typical doctor um but i've done the very typical training and that has um brought forth some hellfire Mm -hmm. from the people that i would love to call my colleagues
0: yeah
1: Um, including people that when I was in residency and I decided I wanted to do a fellowship in hospice and palliative medicine, which is really where I'm kind of unique. And I, I don't have a real job opportunity there. There's nobody who works in both actively. I mean, there are people that have done the training, but they're not really doing hospice and OBGYN work because the two are so different from a practical standpoint,
0: but they're
1: so the same <laughs> absolutely i mean they are birth and death are one and the same i mean these I this is the same experience a person's going through the only difference is that a woman giving birth emerges on the other side of this portal and they're still able to speak to us in, in the in the in the way that you're thinking about versus when you pass through the portal at end of life yeah. yes there's a transformation but we don't know what that experience looks like so we can't help you retrospectively or retroactively to make sure that person doesn't have as bad of an experience that you can tell me from, you know, that you've related from the spirit world or or whatever else. So, so there, there is a niche here. There is very, very much need. Um, and, uh, my attendings when I was in residency were very, very unhappy that it was going into hospice and palliative care. They saw that as giving up. They saw that as a soft science. Um, it's a little too mushy gushy for the hardened, um, the hardened OBGYNs, these surgeons that are uh, also attending to this other sacred you know, rite of passage, which is birth. So I have this really neat skill set, and mm. my, I think, uh, I think it would be helpful to say that I am, when I decided to do end of life care, it was actually through the lens of, of miscarriage that I thought mm. that this would be so important, but, oh, but it was actually, it went further. It was like, oh my gosh, if we could sit with people in birth the way we sit with them in death, How much different could the birth of a baby look? And that's exactly what I do in my practice now, which I had to develop on my own. There was not a a hospital in the world that was going to really let me do what I needed to do. And uh, so we're figuring this out together.
0: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that is the opposite. Sit with them in birth the way we sit with them in death. Definitely not the way most of us are used to thinking about it.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, my son was born 10 feet from here. gave oh, me <laughs> so
1: like 40 feet.
0: <laughs> we actually, he was born on our living room couch, which I am so eager. I was just thinking about this this morning. So eager to get rid of. And he is attached to it like nobody's business. Like, like he's going to have a mental breakdown when I finally decide, but we're done with this couch. <laughs> but I just this morning, I thought, oh, he was born on it. Yeah, I that, I could honor that in okay. our transition.
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: um, sure. I love birth. I love babies. I love pregnancy. I love transition. And I think I came to abortion work after spending much more time in pregnancy and birth work, and postpartum work and motherhood. it all has so many similarities and i love what you said um you used the words the language or lack thereof and the way i finished that sentence was for the experience of being human it's just and i think that for me is why i came into this work around abortion um there's so little language to talk about what we're experiencing it, what we're experiencing and the typical narratives on either like of the binary, like the pro-life narrative, the pro like really hardcore pro-choice narrative don't speak to our experience as human beings having abortions. Mm-hmm. It's so much more complex and um, I think that your body of work, like my body of work, has all the answers and none of the answers. And so we're just two people here to keep talking about that today. Um, I'm curious if you would like to start with your more personal thoughts about abortion or your more professional thoughts about abortion.
1: Yeah. Before we started, you know, before you hit record, I I told you I've, I've sat with at least a thousand miscarriages or abortions. And the, the word we use in medicine for a miscarriage is a spontaneous abortion. So let's right. kind of unpack that. We've got reasons that people have abortions across the board, all the way up until about 24 weeks. And there are instances where it's been later than that, but that's usually a medically indicated, like there is something off with the baby. Like we've got yeah. a malformation or something that's not gonna be consistent with, with a, a you know a healthy life. Um, and um, of course, 10 to 15% roughly of, of even healthy pregnancies end in a spontaneous miscarriage, a spontaneous abortion, as I mentioned, a SAB as it's listed in your medical record, mm. A-B and my opinion about that i guess doesn't really matter it's more just an observation that like this this happens you know is it because people are unhealthy sometimes is it because just the the perhaps nature doesn't want every acorn to turn into a tree definitely there's definitely something mm-hmm. aspect yeah. of that but when we look at it through the this sort of Christo, the sort of Abrahamic, let's say the Abrahamic religions, specifically the Christian lens. I'll borrow from one of my mentors, Stephen Jenkinson, who wrote a book called Die Wise. And I've had mm-hmm. him on the, on the podcast recently. And the episode doesn't release until uh, a few months from now. But oh no, actually, it did. It just actually came out. I'm sorry. It came out a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We had a really tender conversation around looking at death when it mm-hmm. happened at the time of birth. And I think that that's really the same language that I want to apply to miscarriage, which is that there's this idea in our society. And I do consider it, again, borrowing from Stephen, it's societal malpractice for us to feel entitled for every single acorn to turn into a tree.
0: Whoa, societal malpractice.
1: Societal malpractice. And the reason for that is because the people Ooh. experiencing this are going to suffer regardless of what we, of what we say, what, we, what our our religious leaders, political leaders, whoever say, I mean, I don't even care about Roe versus Wade. That is not relevant to the conversation today. We have, so to borrow from Steven, we have this, this book that nobody's ever seen. Nobody's ever read it. It's called the book of should Mm -hmm. children (laughs) should have a long life. People Mm -hmm. should grow to, to 95. They should, they should live a full life, whatever that is. There's these, this book of shoulds and it's full of these platitudes that, that actually then dictate our policymaking and the way that we hold space for the people in our, in our tribe and our communities. But that's an incomplete view, obviously, because what about that baby that has trisomy 18 and has an, a tremendous cardiac malformation, has clubbed feet, has contractured limbs, perhaps part of the brain hasn't developed, perhaps none of the brain has developed. Is that a baby that should have a long life? Well, no well, then shouldn't, we ter- then, then shouldn't it be okay to terminate? Well, no, because it's not our decision. It's somebody else's decision, somebody else, the religious leaders, it's our gods, it's our, and I say gods because it's not just Christian, the Christian lens, although I would say the Eastern philosophies have a very different uh, take on this. But the, the point being here that instead of us actually honoring that not every acorn is going to turn into a big, beautiful oak tree,
0: Mm -hmm. Or is every
1: baby going to grow into an 80-year-old retired professor from Harvard and all this other stuff? If we're only going to turn to the book of shoulds, we end up in this really tricky place where we don't have the language and we actually aren't even willing to hold the space because somebody else has dictated what is supposed to happen to this person's body. And then the, the woman who's going through this experience... And I, by the way, I don't want to get into the non-binary language. Like a a, a person who's carrying a baby. Let's yeah. just say, yeah. um, for the simplicity of conversation, I'm just going to use woman. Um, mm-hmm. A woman who's carrying a baby is now under the um, under this sort of uh, the spell of a society that is committing this malpractice is now expected to carry the burden of the reality of whatever happens with this pregnancy, whether it's a live birth, it's a terminated birth, it's a spontaneously miscarried birth in the first trimester. They are alone now going to carry this. So as a doctor, I've seen some really, really funky things happen. And it's a very, very easy mm. decision tree. Should the pregnancy go on? Should mm-hmm. the pregnancy be terminated? And there yeah. again, we, we turn back to the book of should. Yeah. But in either case, like I said, this woman's going to go through this process. They're going to yes. have a baby, whether it's terminated or not. And they're going to have to carry the burden of a life that was lost yes. within their body or shortly thereafter. So the, the miscarriage thing or the termination conversation around abortion, it fits nicely into one of these packages. Well, what if a baby is does carry this, this uh, anencephaly is what I was describing, where you've got the a lack of central nervous system. There's a brain stem. So there is some central nervous system, but obviously you can't grow to be a, you can't graduate high school without a brain, without a cortex. And, um, let's say that you're diagnosed with this at 20 weeks. Well, your doctor, your OBGYN would say, uh, you know, this isn't going to be a, a healthy baby. I'm really sorry. Maybe they use some, some pleasant platitudes and they say, you know, here's your options. You can either have the baby, baby's going to die soon after they pass you onto the pediatrics team in that case, or we just schedule you for a termination, which requires a process. There's laminaria, there's a, a swelling of the, of the cervix, sort of like an induction of labor. And then there's pro- probably going to be a, a sedation with a procedural extraction of the baby in, in many cases, not always, but um, that is a, of course, if the baby doesn't abort itself, so to speak. Mm-hmm um so now the pediatricians are counseling you well okay now you have two options we can either keep the baby alive and use all of our medical interventions or we can let the baby pass away and that isn't really the full complement of options right letting the baby pass away could be seen as like a comfort focused approach but when you when you box them into these two this 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 decision tree again we're 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 borrowing from this book, the book of shoulds. A baby should have the opportunity to die when it's ready. A mom should have, uh, should carry this pregnancy to term, or a mom should terminate the baby. So, in our efforts to try to break free from the book of shoulds, like you and I were talking about before, we have these protocolized, these scripted ways of of addressing this. We have the sh- the do's and do's nots. You know, don't say things like you can always have another baby or good thing. You have a couple babies. Like that's all not great language. Um, and then we have the, and then we have the, the reality of like when a baby dies, like what is our job there? Everybody's supposed to have a job. You're supposed to be fixing. Mm. And one story I love to tell, which actually brings birth and death. They coincide is that I had a baby that was born when I was a resident. I was not even a fellow in palliative care yet. The baby died. Um, shortly after birth, because the baby was born premature, had no trachea. We rushed the baby to the operating room. The mom's there. All the surgeons come up. They're cutting into the baby, trying to find an airway. There's no trachea, guys. There's no way that this baby is going to survive. And we don't have like a plastic trachea we can bring up from the hardware store to install. And the baby goes on to live a life. But that that didn't preclude all of the interventions, all of the stuff to try to make sense of this when there is no sense to be made Mm. so what do people do they're arranging instruments they're clicking on computers they're adjusting the blood pressure cuff they're putting blankets on mom and eventually can i curse on your podcast oh yeah she says can you just leave us the fuck alone yeah (laughs) yeah i mean this is a so the little baby is passed to her and she lets the baby die yeah now who's to blame for this that's the next part of the conversation Everybody wants to say the MFM didn't see it on ultrasound, like the MFM was responsible for a baby dying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps medical, uh, I don't know, research hasn't been done in these, you know, these, these atretic malformations of the trachea. It's their fault. Uh, You know, whatever. I mean, we, we, we can, we love to find somebody to blame. But what about the book of should, should every baby survive childbirth and go on to live a long life? Or, can we add a new chapter into that book and say every baby should be loved from the moment of conception to the moment the baby dies, regardless of what happens. Mm. And that Mm chapter has been missing. It was ripped out and I don't know what happened Mm -hmm. to it, but I haven't been able to find it. And I, I'm trying to rewrite that chapter Mm -hmm. because there is something to be said for a baby who lives five hours or five minutes in the case of this baby. Now we'll give, we'll give the baby an hour because they were artificially ventilating, but that baby would have died immediately because there's no breath to be taken. Um, is there something to be said for a human life receiving 100 percent of their spending 100 percent of their time being loved by the parents whose womb they chose to, to enter into the world? Um, mm-hmm. I would say that there's something to that. And if we think of things linearly and we can discard the book of should, then we actually end up in this space, even in normal childbirth, where you're no longer entitled to having a long life. Perhaps the only thing you're entitled to as a human is to be loved. Mm-hmm. And many of us live our entire life without ever receiving 100% of our parents' love or our friends' mm-hmm. love or whatever else. So it all come back comes back to that for me. How can we do a better job of affording this little soul as much love as possible? Mm. I think that that can be done better than we're doing in the medical system.
0: Yeah, I actually um, have a friend who's a, um, a medium, and we were having a conversation this morning. She's hosting a retreat in Savannah and said, so much pain has hopped has happened so much death so much tragedy like Mm. so much um violence and i think the way i can honor those souls those spirits is to host this retreat and i said to her i think that's how i think of my work is Mm. like the way the conversation around abortion in the media, in politics, in religion, is really quite violent and yeah. aggressive and lacks love. Yeah. <laughs> and that we can honor the spirits of our pregnancies, whatever that was, whatever you want to call it um, with love. And we can do that when we are pregnant. And I think I did do that when I found myself with an unplanned pregnancy and a lot of confusion. I do remember saying like, you're not supposed to be here and I love you. And I'm, I'm choosing to end this, but it's not for lack of love. Yeah. Like, I think I made that decision with her in some ways, although I think she knew the decision long before and now we're into spirit territory. But Mm -hmm. um, I do think that's probably one of the reasons I found so much peace around my own abortion is that I chose to love that soul, even though I told her no. And I'm just using the language her because it's Again, just my own made up belief, yeah. or it's true, I have no idea. <laughs> but I think this honoring with love is so, so important. And it's just so missing in, in all of our conversation about abortion being a part of reproductive care. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I have a thought and I would love to hear your perspective on I love this idea of the societal malpractice for us to expect every acorn to turn into a tree where's the part of the conversation where we're expecting every tree to propagate more trees Mm. (laughs) Because we have this expectation that every baby should have this right to life, should have, should turn into, I mean, every pregnancy, right? Every conception, every acorn turns into a tree. And we also have this pressure Mm
1: -hmm.
0: on these mothers, these beings who can Create life in this way
1: mm. to continue. what
0: happens when we let go of that expectation? Just because you can doesn't mean you should,
1: yeah. I um, I see this from from two two sides. You know, there's a lot of people in my life, very, very, very dear friends who just keep getting pregnant and having more babies. And, um, and that's beautiful. Like they're able to care for them. They have these big giant families, nine, 10 kids. Um, I, I think we've been at, at war with nature for quite some time. We've removed mm. ourselves. We've extricated ourselves from nature. You know, if, if you consider like what a cancer cell is, and I, I don't, I just bear with me on this.
0: This is the other conversation I had <laughs> this morning comparing cancer and pregnancy. So I, I love that this is happening. Keep going.
1: Well, I mean, these, these, the synthesis of these ideas is actually what we're lacking. We're lacking the medical philosophy that we used to have. Instead, it's just full bore ahead, growth, growth, growth at all costs, because we as humans are, we are above nature as if there's some sort of linear conscious raising. I mean, even that idea that we're, we need to raise our consciousness. I have a, a family member who always says that. And it's like, to what? Like, like, do you actually think that consciousness is on a spectrum just like life is or like uh your education level where you get your ma and then you get your your you know you get your masters then you get your phd and then you get a doctorate or whatever like i don't even know what the process is honestly i've been trapped in my own medical bubble but uh you know i mean if we're not willing to look at how we've extricated ourselves with from nature then the conversation around miscarriage and loss of a child in childbirth it makes no sense which is why it's so confronting when I talk about, like uh, before I answer your question directly, when you have a baby, you are not entitled for that baby to survive childbirth. And I know that that is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. I get it. You can send me hate mail. You can do it. I'm also willing to honor why that's so confronting. If we look at our acorn tree, our, our, uh, our oak tree, which is looming over this house right now, acorns are always on my mind because I'm stepping on them outside. Um, not every one of those acorns, of course, is going to propagate into a tree. And not every every oak tree is entitled to have a million of their spawn come to life. They no. dro- it drops at least 10,000 acorns in, in the month of October. It is an insane amount of sweeping I do. If every one of those acorns turned into a big oak tree, we would have nothing but oak trees here. And you, the human being who is listening to me and Amanda, I know that you're like, but we can't just not allow the babies to grow into oak trees or, or to into humans. And you're right. If we're going to intervene in the middle of a gestating pregnancy, that is a really hard thing to do. And if that baby is trying to come through, no matter what you've done through fertility awareness, maybe a vasectomy, and now it's you're pregnant again. And it's like, what the heck? We tried so hard. We shouldn't feel bad. Like we, we shouldn't feel bad for reflecting on the fact that like I have enough kids I don't need any more of my little spawns running around but there is some taboo around talking about that so let's go to the cancer example cancer is a cell that is not we're not battling against cancer I hate that that aphorism because or that euphemism because you're always going to lose the battle against cancer that means you didn't fight hard enough you didn't have enough will etc so So this battle against cancer is important because when we give you a cytotoxic chemotherapy, we're not battling something that invaded you. This is not a bacterial infection. This is your body has decided that this little clump of tissue is going to operate separate from its network of friends at the cost of the greater organism. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if a tree decided to do that, the entire ecosystem would fall apart. If a dolphin, if a deer, if a butterfly wanted to take everything for themselves, then we would have a crumbling ecosystem and the earth would have already died billions of years ago. Humans have decided we're not going to follow the rules because we are higher in consciousness than these other beings. And maybe that's true, but that Mm -hmm. does not give us the right to say that every last sperm and egg that meet needs to become a human because number one, our planet can't sustain it. And number two, it defies all laws outside of that book of shoulds. But that book of shoulds is really mother culture is what I'm talking about. This, this, this cultural narrative that if you have a uterus and ovaries, we have the technology to get, to make sure that you have a, a live baby at all costs. We're going to do this. So IVF is, is, is an example. You know, you're going to spend $15,000 getting pregnant from the start of your fertility concerns up until you have that live baby. That's a lot of dough.
0: That seems low to me, even for what people are actually investing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, some people spend a lot more on that. There's certain specific technologies that, that double or triple that price point, you know, even like the IUI process where you're injecting hormones into yourself. And then the moment comes when you're going to shoot some sperm up in there. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm saying a lot here, but the, the, the point is that just because you have the capability through some medical technology or without to get pregnant. Should you, there's the should word again, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or or are you entitled to have more kids through the lens of Christianity? Of course, every life is sacred. Every little baby is a blessing. And I don't disagree with that,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but, but at what cost, at what cost are we willing to do this? Not to mention that when people go through the IVF process, they have a very high miscarriage rate. They have a very high fetal demise rate compared to the baseline. And they have a lot of pregnancy complications, as a, a, a simply as a result of them using some of these, you know, infertility technologies. So, and that's because the body's perhaps not actually capable of carrying and growing a baby because there's a resource issue, there's a an adrenal issue, there's a thyroid issue, etc. So, um, I've said a lot there, but what we are doing is acting as a cancer, as if we are entitled to grow uncontrollably. And if you're going to break from that narrative, shame on you. You're going to hell. You're a bad mm-hmm. person. You're a bad mom. How could you possibly want to do that? And then again, it's back to the, the pregnant woman and her partner who are carrying the burden of mother culture. And none of us, I think, really agree with that. But that's just the current that we're in. And I think breaking people out of that spell is the reason why your podcast is so expensive is, is so important not expensive important <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's free <laughs> <laughs> um so we are acting we as in the societal conversation around abortion as if we are a cancer growth 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 at all cost yeah. did I sum that up <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, <laughs> the the infertility specialists are some of my least favorite because they are not willing to look outside the box of what's actually happening here. Um, so I think growth you summed it up fairly well. I mean, this is a four hour long conversation, but
0: this is a lifetime crazy. conversation, which is why I finally accepted that most podcasts were not going to have any kind of conclusion at the end. It's just yeah. an interesting conversation between two interesting people. <laughs> Um, I'm debating whether I want to bring this up, but I had an interesting conversation with someone today about an analogy I made between, it was in, re- I don't remember what the post was, but it was in reference to this belief that like God granted you a baby, you should have it. And the comparison I made was, well, if God grants you cancer, should you have it? Like Mm. in her are, you know, if God grants you a, a broken bone, should you leave it? If God grants you it, right? And her thought was, but cancer is a disease. And a pregnancy, like it's a disease. Cancer is a disease, it's a malformation. And a pregnancy is not. And my brain kind of got a little tripped up. Like, I don't know, is pregnancy a disease? It's like causing in many cases adverse effects to the carrying body or the carrying family. Like in my case, there was no physical adverse effect, but the adverse effect of bringing another child into our family was harmful. And I just started pondering, and again, there's going to be no answer to this, but I started pondering, like, who are we to think we get to decide what's a disease, what's a malformation, what's a blessing, what's a miracle? Like, I think what it goes back to is, why are we trying to make sense when there's no sense to be made?
1: I think... I think that the answer to your question is is not very very clear. I mean, I think it's a really really good question, but let's like let's. I post a lot about the the sort of uh, uh, the limitations of Western medicine, right? And yeah. this term disease is basically applied to anything that is going to shorten your lifespan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The laws of ecology would say that as food resources grow that a population that eats those, that food is gonna grow because there's more, there's more food around, we're gonna populate now. And then as the population gets bigger, it eats down the foodstuffs and now there's less food to go around. So there's less reproduction and then the population falls. This is a primary, a principle of ecology where you get this fluctuating, the sort of like the tides, there's this rhythm. Human beings decided we're not going to follow that rhythm. We're gonna be separate from that rhythm. But let's say that you went to, uh, I don't know, poke plant grows really, really big here. And everybody sees our poke plant, which has these beautiful red veins, very thick, juicy stalk, <laughs> and these big purple berries. If you don't know what poke plant is, I
0: don't. You,
1: you will definitely recognize it because it's everywhere. <laughs> it's considered invasive. And the reason it's considered invasive is because it grows and then grows and grows and grows mm-hmm. as if it just owns the place. I like it because it's pretty, but it also does like kind of start to encumber on my canna lilies, you know? So let's trim it down and then it pops up over here. We don't need any more poke plant. Let's rip it out. Let's rip it out. Well, poke plant is operating like the human population. Um,
0: (laughs) That's what I was thinking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so when we use the word cancer, yes, it's a disease, but is it actually something that is not a natural phenomenon? Because remember, it is your cells that have decided, nope, I'm not going to. Check my growth cycle. I'm going to grow and grow and grow and grow, which is actually through the the, the uh, German New Medicine model is actually a reflection of our societal pathology in and of itself, which is that if you embody me 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 me, mind 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 mind, to hell with everybody else, to hell with a neighbor across the street, let alone with my people across the pond uh, in in the UK and Europe or in in the continent of Africa, or whatever. That is the, that is, that is the um, embodiment of cancer. So if you are, are reflecting those ideals over and over and over again, is it no surprise that we're getting so much cancer in a world that is doggy dog, that it's, it's me above all, as long as I have my needs met, then everybody else can suffer and perish. We, we use language that doesn't reflect that, but that actually is how, how we all operate until my needs are met. I'm not going to, not gonna necessarily help others. And if we were in a truly egalitarian society, having 10 kids would not be acceptable. But again, the book of should is that every, every baby should live. Every person should have as many kids as they want. They're entitled to all of those kids. And even when the kid is gonna die in childbirth, we're willing to traumatize the woman through non-consensual yeah. vaginal exams, non-consensual C-sections, consenting them, not, pro- not providing informed consent under duress in order to ensure that that baby lives, even if it traumatizes the mother for the next 60 years of her life. We're willing to make that compromise and that is the behavior of cancer. So I don't think that the question as to whether or not it's disease or not is the question. Cancer is cancer. Cancer is cancer and cancer does what cancer does. Human beings, if we are so higher consciousness, we have the option to not behave like a cancer. And to really unify, and to really hold space for people who have that dead baby energy in them that I've, I've that I've I've heard so many times, um, to hold space for them and to help them turn their close the book of shoulds into just be with the experience of having been pregnant and no longer being pregnant. That's where we're missing this. Yeah. Is that a disease state? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if there's an answer to that. Is pregnancy a disease? This medical system certainly wants us to believe it is because of all the interventions. Because if if we don't treat the disease, then a baby doesn't, doesn't get born. But it's all for the purpose of progress, which is equitable to growth of the human population. So to ask somebody to break free of that and then not to support them. Like you can break free you can you can have your you can have the abortion. Forget what your religious leader said, but get what forget the book of shoulds, but then to not support them, that is the disease. Yeah. That yes. is the problem.
0: Yes. I wish I could hit rewind a little bit. You said be with the experience of having spent, like basically spent that time with that pregnancy, no matter how long the time was. Do you remember what word to use? <laughs> Cause it was golden. It's okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, we'll have to rewind later. I don't know. I, yeah. I sometimes yeah. black out when I'm speaking like that. I
0: will listen again and write it down because it just was the magic.
1: Um, I want to add, let me add something that just came back to me that you just okay. said. The other thing about this is that when we lose a baby, we feel shame and guilt for it. Well, what if the purpose of your pregnancy, the disease, if you want to call it that, is that you were imbued with the energy of a child again? Like, what if there was some reason that that baby was like, mom, I needed you to feel this again. I'm not ready to come through, but I needed you to feel the spirit of me coming in because I need you and dad to work on a couple of things. And I'm going to be leaving. I can't stay here because That's it's
0: what not- I have full body chills. That's what I talk about all the time. Yeah. All the time. That is the body of my work. Yeah. Um,
1: I got a little sweaty just now. I don't, I don't yeah,
0: know. Yeah. If- <laughs> yeah. Wow. I did write down the question. Why are we making the decision baby over woman? Um, Hmm. Is that just, is the the, like quickest answer to that just patriarchy? Like what, (laughs) what is that just a system of patriarchy and supremacy or like, what is that? Why are we making that decision over and over and over again? Baby over woman, baby over woman, baby over woman. Even yeah, uh, even with mothers, like living babies, we're making that. I'm, I've been mothering for 18 plus years. I've never felt like society says you come first it's always your kids come first your kids come first your kids come first
1: yeah you're right there's two different lines being towed there I hadn't really thought about it you're you're quite brilliant in how how um, thoughtful you are about these things Um, and now that I'm saying it out loud it sounds so like no duh but you're right in abortion it's like hey you have to preserve the life of this baby in childbirth like you don't want your baby to die no mother wants their baby to die like what are you talking about doc um if we don't do this thing you and your baby can die we can't lose both of you and a lot of people actually think ob are there to protect the baby we are there to protect the mother
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we don't act like it
0: no yeah uh, we, we don't oh, act wow. like
1: the the failing uterine <laughs> utero placental unit uh like at all costs, get that baby out of there. And hopefully we also save the baby. That's what wow. most of the policy policy procedures reflect. So fast forward, the baby's now here. Suddenly, um, we have this baby in the world and all of our resources are no longer focused at all on keeping mom safe, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera, even physically. Nope is the woman dies in childbirth, at least the baby survived. Oh, at least the baby will carry her her lineage or whatever. I mean, like we have all these stupid platitudes. So it's not that we have to pick one or the other, but it is a really interesting conjecture. Where did this notion that the acorn is more important than the tree ever come to be?
0: Exactly.
1: Um, we don't know if that acorn's ever going to be able to pr- produce fruit. So if we're looking at it through a specifically like a a very myopic genetic lens. We have no idea if this acorn is ever going to grow into a fruit producing tree.
0: Yeah.
1: But this one is definitely producing 10,000 acorns every month. Exactly. <laughs> so so what's the deal with this This one
0: genetic? is definitely already here.
1: This, this one's doing this a good human job. Human
0: who's carrying a pregnancy is definitely already here. But let's focus on the one that might
1: yeah. I, to, me, to me, we see headlines about fertility rates in the world and they are going down in general, they're going down. It's partly, it's partly societal. It's partly also from a health standpoint. I think a lot of women are struggling with, with the glyphosates we've been spraying in all of our food, on our grass, um, the toxic heavy metals in the air and the water, etc. Like there are reasons, uh, stress. pockets, stress, <laughs> no sleep, etc. Um, when we hear that, that fertility rate, we say, oh no, the human population is going to be decreasing. Yet, what about the guy across the street who asked you for help and you were like, fuck that guy, he's a jerk, he's a mm-hmm. Trump supporter or whatever, like, if you really care about people, like, why don't we care about people in every regard? Like, yeah. it's so it doesn't seem to actually be a matter of us honoring a, the, 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 the sanctity of a human life. It's again, back to the mantra of growth
0: Yes. Over. Growth, growth, like, growth, growth at all costs. Yeah. It
1: doesn't matter what quality of people mm-hmm. we're even making, just make more of them.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's, it's
1: very, very bizarre. I, I yeah. really appreciate you bringing that. Up. Judaism
0: does um, address this in which the health of the mother comes first at all cost. And I don't, I'm not the one to explain. <laughs> I yeah. do know yeah. this in a very simplistic way and that includes mental health. And that includes her mental well-being, her mental emotional well-being, not just her physical health. So I'm sure we could seek excerpts from that tradition to, yeah. to make yeah. some sense of it. But um, yeah, this has been a really interesting conversation as I knew it would be. Um, I'm positive that we give people a lot of things to think about, a lot of questions to ask probably some places they're still very confused (laughs) but that's okay so are we like that's okay we are willing to keep showing up and investigating and that's what makes us leaders in the space it's not that we have all the answers Right. Um, right and so that's what I hope to teach people listening to this podcast is like keep showing up keep investigating keep asking good questions um, there are no answers and all the answers are right here in front of us at the same time,
1: but
0: yeah.
1: I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just to kind of round circle back real quickly to what we were talking about, about the scripted way that the medical system seems to want to handle this, there is no right language. And oftentimes there's not yeah. something to say a person loses a pregnancy, it is going to feel bad. I mean, from a hormonal standpoint alone to have your hormones plummet when you're halfway through a pregnancy because your baby died. Like this is really where we get to practice um, good humanness. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, if we are, are so excited about how great we are as, as a species, this is really where we get to shine and we're doing a really poor job of that. Yeah. We don't need a checklist of things to say or don't say. What we really need is to just be willing to not have the answers, to not have the thing to do, and to really just be able to sit and to bear witness to the challenges of being another human being across the, the table from us. And yeah. that's not something that we're incentivized that we get a lot of practice or that we get a lot of practice to do.
0: But that's yeah. where the work
1: is. That's where the work is, I think.
0: I think it's just gotten messy. We didn't even touch on this part of the conversation. Um, But, and this is where the narrative we've heard is that it wasn't a baby. It was a ball of cells. And so of course we're not talking about grief because there's nothing to grieve. Right. You made a choice, move on with your life. And then millions of us are like, well, if there's nothing to grieve and I'm grieving, something must be wrong with me. (laughs) So it's just shining more light on why it's so complicated because
1: Hmm.
0: abortion access is so vitally important. But if we don't talk about it for what it feels like for so many of us, like we're missing the mark. it is medical care and we're human beings with emotional right. experiences
1: right 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 So we don't need uh, we don't need long-term studies to clarify uh, the experience of a woman having a miscarriage. she's right in front of you
0: yeah and just well, and the thing is those long-term studies are there now and it's an amazing book called the Turnaway Study or research but it's limited by the fact that it's research. So Mm -hmm. if the number one feeling most of us experience after a spontaneous or elective abortion is relief, who cares? What are the next five after that?
1: Right, right. (laughs)
0: Like, why do we care so much about what was number one if number two, three, and four were grief, guilt, shame, right? Like, yeah, number one's important and it does matter and it matters for access, but like, we're missing the mark on the entire conversation. (laughs) It's so big. It's so big.
1: big. Yeah. 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 We, we try so hard to isolate that one variable that matters most in research. That is good research. If you have, you've got one variable, we're going to Hone in on this one thing, and it isn't serving us. You know there are limitations to the evidence, um, which is why I've I still read it, but it's like one piece of what I bring into the conversation. We can't lean too heavily on our, on the researchers to clarify what it means to be a human and to be a good companion to somebody in need. It's not going to come through the research, but that can certainly yeah. give us a little a little support. <laughs>
0: Ugh. Well, thank you so much. Um, last words, anything you feel like someone listening needs to hear and then tell us where people can find you.
1: I just, just don't be so hard on yourself. Don't let somebody tell you that you're supposed to feel a certain way when you want to feel the way that you're feeling. Feel into it. That's, a, that's therapy in and of itself. I give you permission. If you needed permission, I give you permission to just, to just do you and And if you're out there and you know somebody who needs support, remember, it's not a problem to be fixed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And where can people find you? Uh,
1: My website is BelovedHolistics.com. I do a lot of this type of support myself. Um, I do a lot of fertility counseling, and it always starts with why am I having a whole bunch of miscarriages. So Mm -hmm. um, I bring my skill set to that, but I also do pregnancy, postpartum, menopausal care. I do the whole thing that OBGYNs do. I just bring it. I bring the lens of my palliative and hospice care work. Um, into a very, I feel like a very, uh, a very human practice, which is not what I was able to do in the system. Yeah. And then I have, um, I do work with midwives as a collaborative physician. That's, you can find more about that uh, on the website. And then I, um, I have a podcast called the Holistic OBGYN podcast, and you are going to be gracing our, my audience with your experience as well which is going to be what left.
0: will come next
1: <laughs> uh, it'll probably just be a continuation of this and we'll have to say exactly. please go listen to my to my interview with amanda first and then we'll we'll pick up where we left off
0: yeah thank you so much for taking this time and um lots more for us to ponder
1: absolutely thank you